Good evening, everybody. Um, well, it's uh, really, really wonderful to be with you. Oh, I know we. Starting over again, um, so thanks for your grace. And can we give th this team a hand? Because they're doing a really good job. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Like, for such a small community, we really have an amazing tech team. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, we're really, really blessed. So, um, all right. Well, I want to um, just welcome all of you tonight. And um, it's just great to be with you. And that, of course, includes um, those joining us online, we love you lots, and, uh, and everyone who uh, might be new here, kind of, you know, starting to check it out or find your place, and um, it can take a lot of courage to go through those double doors, so um, thank you for, for being uh, with us tonight. I hope you feel a sense of um, welcome. Uh, so we are in a, a series on First Peter. Um, we titled it First Peter Part 1 because we're only going to make it through Chapter 1 before the Christmas season of Advent hits. Uh, so we'll have to kind of hit the pause button, do some Advent stuff, and then we'll come back to First Peter uh, chapter 2. So we're going to, um, over the next two weeks, we'll wrap up, though, this, this first chapter of First Peter. So um, tonight we are in verses 13 through 16. Um, so if you want to go ahead and follow along either in your Bibles or it's on the screen, uh, as usual. So let's read along. Uh, Therefore, Peter writes, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So the title of my message tonight, uh, if you're a note taker, you can jot this down, is Disordered um, Desires, Disordered Desires, and I'm going to be kind of very focused in on verse 14 that we just read, um, which has this language of um, evil desires. Uh, I think this is a, a somewhat misunderstood uh, concept, so that's kind of what I want to really unpack tonight um, is, is kind of that phrase. Um, and before I give you kind of my big idea, I should give a nod to St. Augustine who um, very helped me with this idea of, of uh, evil desires as disordered desire. So uh, here's the big idea um, for tonight that we'll be kind of unpacking. Uh, my problem is not desire itself, but disordered desire. Uh, loves and passions and urges all running amok and ruining my life. That's kind of like the, uh, the big idea for tonight. Um, I've been uh, coaching a soccer team now for a while. I don't know how I got into this. Well, I know how the uh, league emails you when your team doesn't have a coach, and they kind of basically haggle the parents until someone steps up. So it was like many seasons ago, I kind of stepped up to do this, and I thought I'd gotten out of the job because we joined a new team, because the poor team I was coaching back in the day with my, my oldest son, Dax, we just lost so much. So it was kind of like time to phase that team out. We heard of another team we could join, so we did. He had a friend playing in a different league, you know, in, in Garland. So we joined the Garland Soccer Association. So I was the assistant coach last year. That's really my place. 
I uh, didn't grow up playing soccer, uh, so everything I learned is from watching on television and YouTube. <laughs> so I'm very much that guy. So last year I was the assistant coach, um, but then the head coach moved to Arlington. He's like, well, she's yours. Run with it. And so here I am head coaching again. And we actually had a good season, not because I'm an amazing coach. We just have some good players. So, you know, especially this age, you don't need, like, genius strategy. It's like, get that ball in there. Go. And, you know, we got some kids that can do it. So it's been a good season. Um, but, you know, I must admit I'm grateful. Uh, one way they kind of set up, GSA sets up the field, is that, um, like, I'm here kind of with my team on one side of the field, and then all of the parents are on the other side of the field. And this is good because I don't know if you've been into youth sports at all. I mean, maybe... Maybe it's just this, I don't know if it's just this kind of Garland, Saxy, Rowlett. I, surely it's all over the country, right? It's just complete madness. And people just losing their minds over these children playing I mean, it's, it is, it's weird. The psychology of it, how, how parents start to buy and like feel like it's them on the field or all their hopes and dreams. I mean, it's, it's a lot, right? So I'm grateful that I'm kind of over here. Um, but I must admit, I mean, overall, the season's been pretty good. We have good parents, you know. Um, but I had a funny kind of experience with, um, so there was this one team and, uh, we, I remember when I was assistant coach and we lost to them three times last year. Apparently we've lost to them every year, even before we joined the team. Like we just, they're just a good team, you know, and it's sometimes, sometimes they're just a good team. You just get, get beat. And so, um, we had played them, um, I think twice this year, already had lost twice. So this is like two weeks ago. We're playing them for the third time. Our team's gotten better. Um, and honestly, I mean, I don't mind. Like, you know, we're a good teams. So we win some, some. But this team, this is a tough team to lose to because um, it's because their coach. He's just like, he's that guy who's kind of crossed the line from I went to win to I have genuine anger issues. And it just all come. I mean, he's just the crazy, it's just the crazy, so intense, he's just screaming, just losing it. So this is like, it's just one of those teams that you really, like, you want to beat, you know? Like, it's just like, oh my gosh, you're driving me crazy. And um, in fact, we had a, a lady, she's, um, she, I think she immigrated from uh, some Eastern European country, I'm not sure which one, like, years ago, and she came up to me before the game. She's like, are we playing that team Saturday? And I was like, we are. She's like, oh, I want to win them. I want to win them so bad. And I was like, I want to win them too. I want to win them. And the reason we want to win them is because of this coach. So y'all, so two Saturdays ago, right before Halloween, we are, we're playing them. And right, I mean, within a minute, we score one to nothing. Like five minutes later, we score again, two to nothing. We score again, three to nothing. Like we're just, we're just taking it to them. And I mean, my smile's getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, I notice down, because the parents are all over there. But the coaches, right, we stand across and I can hear this guy and he is losing his mind he's I mean he, I look at him and it, he has a vein like pop, he looks like he's about to have a heart attack I mean it's just popping out he is freaking out suddenly we score again four to nothing and the reason we score is because one of their defenders basically made a mistake he's pretty clearly he was new you know and this guy literally no joke this coach looks at him he yells out he says um you are playing like crap, and I am this close to pulling you out of the game. I mean, he's just, he's losing. Now, did I mention this is 10-year-old soccer? 10-year-old. <laughs> now, um, what is going on there? What I want to suggest to you tonight is what the, the problem with this coach, 
um, is that he has, a, he has a problem of disordered desire. Because, like, on the one hand, like, there's something in him, right? He wants, inside of him, he wants to win, you know? He wants to, and that's not bad. Like, he wants to, um, he wants to probably feel good about himself, too. And these are not desires that in and of themselves are like, evil, how dare you want self-esteem? Or how dare you want to win? You know, like, that's that's not terrible or something. But what happens? The problem is when it gets disordered. when, When all of a sudden that desire to win, that desire to, I've got to feel good, I've got to feel validated. When all of a sudden as a coach, you can't let that desire be elevated above the well-being of your players, right? Can you see how, and this is where I think we kind of misunderstand disordered or evil desire. You hear that phrase, I don't know, we think like drugs or whatever random kind of thus in, you know? Um, And actually, this is where Augustine's so insightful is he says, well, it's not, it's often not about just the thing itself. In fact, rarely, you know, most desires like have some biological need. I mean, even, you know, think of all sorts of addictions, like why do we go to those, it's often because we have some emotional need. It's, you know, so Augustine would say, it's not so much the problem is not just the desire itself. Like, oh, how dare you have desire, your evil, evil desires. He would say, the problem is disordered desire, right? It, in other words, it's the exact thing we named. My problem is not desire itself. It's disordered desire. It's loves and it's passions and it's urges all running amok and ruining my life. Um, I think another um, desire. This, I talked about this on July 4th, one of my more uncomfortable sermons I've ever preached. It wasn't, it was, we actually joined with Pleasant Valley, the church through space we rent. We joined with them, uh, so I preached it there, but it was all about um, the idea of love for one's country. You know, this is a real trick for Christians, is, is like love of country, and like, what, do, how do we do this, right? Because is it bad to love one's country? No. Right? Is it bad to love one's home? Well, no, of course not. But, but what happens? There, and it's, I mean, it's probably, it's human nature. You know, we're tribal people. Like, we love, I told Maggie, this is one reason, back to the sports thing, this is one reason we love sports. It's almost like this purely tribal thing. You just get to be a tribe for a while. You know, us against them, come on. But hopefully it's in good fun, right? So what happens, though, when it's on the level of a country, Right? Well, there can be something very powerful about a sense of we and connectedness. We're all in this together. We're all American, you know, kind of the, the vibe. And that can be, there can be a good desire in that in terms of we do. We need tribes. We need connectedness. And we need a sense of home. That's like important stuff. But what happens? Well, we've seen this play out in history, right? Like w- when that desire gets elevated to the highest place, what happens? Oh my God. I mean, it's just World War II. Anyone? Like, it's just, it's hell on earth. And even, not even just to play it out in such a big way, but just even um, for us as individuals. I mean, we kind of start getting, kind of elevating that to the highest place, and suddenly we can find ourselves thinking things, saying things about people who aren't kind of from our tribe or our country. Like, we never would have dreamed like five years ago, 10 years ago. We wouldn't have been there, but. But what happens? Like, all of a sudden, we shock ourselves because that, that desire gets elevated to the highest place. What, what is it? It's disordered desire. I was thinking, um, to kind of bring it into the, the home, you know, this is something I struggle with. I like, um, I'm a bit of a hobbit, like, 
just personally, I'm like introvert and I just want quiet, you know. And uh, so I was thinking of parents, you know, who maybe just want like peace and quiet and order, you know, order in the home. I, I grew up, my um, mom is here, by the way. My mom and dad are, they're awesome, uh, are here. And uh, they, my mom raised me on musicals. Um, has anyone seen the, oh, the old one, uh, Sound of Music? It's like the classic, you know, yeah. Um, and that's like, remember the, the guy, the, uh, the captain or whatever his, his, I haven't seen in, gosh, 20 years, so sorry if I'm vague on the details. But remember he had like, he's this scene, if you've seen the movie, like he has all these children. He's like blowing a whistle because he's like a ship captain or something. He's in the Navy. So he's kind of trying to run the household like the military. <laughs> you know, he's like, beep, beep. He like has signals, whistle signals for the children to come in, right? Um, and I think we obviously don't, I don't do that in my house. But I am someone who likes order. You know what I mean? It's like obedience, people. It's like the li- it's time for the lights to be out right now. And I don't want your questions. You know, it's just like, come on, it's nine o'clock. I'm dying here. And no, um, you guys are like, oh gosh, he does have problems. I do. I struggle with disorder desire. Because now, is that like bad, you know, to want peace and quiet? order or schedule or no these things this isn't these aren't bad desires and what until they get elevated to the highest place and i've um i remember visiting friends and like being in homes where that kind of desire for like obedience and order it like just a chill can just settle over the whole home you experience this maybe it's just i guess and it, it can kill Love, it can stifle any sense of care. And you can be defensive, right? You can be like, well, what are you, what are you saying? That uh, we don't need obedience in this house? You know, you can see how you can defend it by saying, well, a desire is a good desire. This, we need this, you know. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> but you can't elevate it to the highest place. So like a good coach doesn't elevate that desire over his players or her players, right? It's similar with parenting. I was thinking even... Um, kind of career. So I was, this is maybe 15 years ago. I was 23 years old. And um, I was working in a corporate job. And I had a side gig on this. We had started a company with some friends and I had a side gig. And so I was working a lot. Um, I would wake up, I'd work on the company, go to my other job, my real job, (laughs) work on that at lunch break, work on the new company, uh, go back to my job in the evenings, work on the new company. You know, this was my schedule, just doing a lot. And uh, so I was talking with a guy at, at this, um, this, this, this corporate world that I was in and uh, a coworker. His name was Kirk. And he was a good man. He was like a Christian, um, probably 15 years older than me at that time. And uh, well-respected, you know. And so I was chatting with him. And I think looking back, I think maybe there was something in me that I was a little bit, I was kind of looking for validation, you know. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I was proud of myself for like working hard or whatever. I don't know. So I'm like ch- chatting with him and I'm kind of sharing with him my schedule you know, and I expected him to pat me on the back, but this is, I was shocked, when this is the only thing he said, he just said this, he said, so when do you see your family? I mean, it was like a sucker punch, I did not see this coming, like, now, what was he named, is having a career bad? No, is having a side hustle bad? No, but can it become a disordered desire? Oh, absolutely. When it gets elevated to the highest place, and all of a sudden, this is the thing. 
this, like this is the priority. This is the desire that orders all my other desires. This is the thing. And so everyone else in my life can kind of take second, third place, perhaps even a spouse or children, close friends, right? You can see where this goes, right? This is, I think, what Peter's getting at. I think this is what Augustine's getting at. With the, our problem as human beings is um, it's a problem of, um, of desire, of all of, man, we do, don't we? Like, because desire touches everything, if you think about it. Like, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning if we don't desire. So we are deeply, we'll actually get in a minute to a James K. Smith quote, where he talks about, like, we are just, um, we are desiring creatures. Like, this is, we, we think we're thinking things. That's kind of the story modernity has kind of told us for the last few hundred years. Like, to be human is to be, we're the thinkers. We're the rational creatures. We're the, you know, Smith says, nah. No, we're like the lovers. We're the, we're the desiring creatures. We just want, 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 want. And that's kind of the beauty of us because we can love well and desire well, but it's also our absolute downfall, right? Because we just get all out of whack and we lose our priorities. And it, we're sort of like a river. Desire is sort of like a raging river that sort of overruns its banks, right? Channeled, it can be powerful and good and beautiful, but boy, when it runs those, over those banks, blah, it's like a disaster. Okay, so that's sort of the problem. This, of course, begs like, what on earth is the solution? How do, we, how do I fix desire? I don't know, do I kill it? Do I just murder desire, you know? Um, I wanna say no. Instead, let's come back to our text. Verse 14, as obedient children, Peter wrote, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, you know, before following Christ, um, whether it's like the coach who just wants to win at all costs or the parent who's like, order, or you know, career, whatever it is, but the desires are kind of running amok. So he's like, before you understood what desire was all about, before you kind of ordered them, um, you lived in ignorance. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's a quote, by the way, from Leviticus um, 19.2. Be holy because I am holy. It's interesting there that that, um, that language of, or that phrase is really rooting the idea of holiness in God's very being in essence. It's not just like a side thing, but it's like, be, this is who God is saying, this is who I am, so this is who you, as the people of God, who you are called um, to be. Um, now, I understand this word holiness I don't know. How does it strike you? I'm kind of, I wish I could have like a little five-minute convo with each of you out in the back, like just to ask. So I say holiness, and how does that hit you, you know? Um, Holiness, holy. Maybe for some of you, it's like a new word. Um, So you're like, I have no idea. Should I be feeling something right now? Um, Maybe others of you, even as I read the verse, maybe even in the very opening, it's like, holy, be holy as I'm holy. You're called to holiness, holy living. It's just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this, you know. Um, I think you probably, many of you will understand that brand holiness has taken a hit in recent years. Um, I think because holiness, at least in the church, has tended to get untethered from love. You know, so you had people who are like, quote unquote, holy, but they were like real jerks, <laughs> right? Weren't very loving. Um, so they didn't, I don't know, whatever the sins were, they didn't smoke the cigarettes or, you know, drink too much or what, I don't know, whatever the things were, they didn't wear the short shorts or I don't know, whatever these ideas of holiness of people, right? And they didn't do that. 
and yet they were like flat out unkind, unloving people. And yet everyone was like, there, that's the ideal. That's be- that, they are doing it. They're, you know. And we got, I think, messed up in our understanding of like holiness. Like what are we talking about? So I want to, in light of kind of what I've shared about desire, I want to give a little bit of a, like a new definition, a new kind of image of holiness. So the path to holiness is the path by God's grace of ordering and orienting my desires. That's what it's about. So in other words, it's not about um, killing desire, right? Or becoming someone who like, I just don't want anything. I don't desire anything. I don't know, this is maybe pietistic Brett of like seventh grade who just like, I don't want anything but God. You know, it's kind of like, well, okay, little buddy. (laughs) Um, That's sort of a good ideal or maybe, or it sounds good, but in the end, like, we have to live life, and life is not about, or holiness is not just about, okay, I just don't want anything at all in life, you know? Like, no, 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 what holiness is, um, it's, you might actually think of it as, um, well, actually, let me read, let me, let me read this. I think maybe a good way to, to think of it is Jesus talked about ordering and, like, how, what do we prioritize? I think that's actually a good way to think of it. Um, So he said, I'm going to read a message paraphrase of this to give it kind of fresh language. This is Matthew 22. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion, all your prayer, all your intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands, they are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets, in other words, the vast majority of the Old Testament, everything hangs from them. You might say then that that holiness, it's about prioritizing my love for God, my love for people. And if you go back through and think of all the examples I shared, right, and we covered a lot of them from career stuff to um, soccer coaching youth sports, you know, to family, to like where do we get disoriented? Where do things go haywire? It's when we miss those two as the most important things. Right? That's, and that's what holiness is, is actually saying, look, I'm very clear on my priorities. I want to love God with everything in my being. Like, I love this uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrase of this, of all of my passion and my prayer and my intelligence, like my whole being. I want to love God, and then I want to love others just as much as I love myself, which does include a love for Jesus. assumes we're going to love ourselves in that. Right? Like that's, that's the priorities. And then I allow that to order and orient everything else in my life. In other words, if I'm desiring something, but it's upending and wreaking havoc in those areas, right? It's causing me to hate myself. It's causing me to hate other people. It's eliminating or eroding any love or prioritization of God. It's, It's a problem, right? That's what holiness is about. Not just like, don't chew the tobacco, you know? It's such, such a, I don't know, shallow understanding of, you know, holiness. Um, yeah, so here's the, the Smith quote. I love this, James K. Smith. Um, I think he's really one of the best Christian writers writing today. He's excellent. He says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but he forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. I love that. I, I think that's just so insightful for what, like, what are we actually doing here? You ever wonder that, like, coming to church? Like, why am, 
why are we here? What are we doing? Is this weird that we all come here and, you know, sing songs? Like, what are we doing? I think this is a beautiful reminder of, like, this is the journey we're on. This is the journey we're on. See, actually, holiness is not some icky, religious, weird term. Holiness really is about becoming a whole person. We might call an integrated person. Someone that has, yes, all the desires of what it means to be human. And yet, instead of running amok and ruining our life and raging like a river that's out of control, instead, they're just oriented and pointed kind of towards true north, oriented towards God towards others, towards even a healthy self-understanding, self-love, and, and then everything just kind of starts to fall into place. And church is the community where we can get honest about how that's going beautifully and uh, how it's maybe not going so beautifully, you know? Like that's, I think that's some of what we're doing here. So in closing, I want to give you three kind of implications, three kind of a little more, something a little more practical since I realize this could be a bit um, maybe abstract. So three implications of this. First, because God and desire touch every part of my life, Christian spirituality will ultimately do the same. Because God and desire touch every part of my life, Christian spirituality will ultimately do the same. Um, you know, it's easy. Well, as, as we mentioned, desire kind of touches everything um, from, you know, money to sexuality to um, parenting coaching youth sports, playing youth sport. I mean, just the whole gamut. Um, but it's easy for us in the kind of the modern world to try to do this thing of separating, kind of teasing apart, like, oh, there's my spiritual life, and then there's, like, my real life, you know. There's sort of, like, the God, and then, like, you know, the secular or whatever. Kind of you, have you all kind of tracking with how we do this? You know, we tease these apart. I think because desire touches everything, because God touches everything, um, our Christian walk, it's going to have to do the same, right? There's no teasing these apart. This is back to Smith's quote of how Jesus is very interested in reshaping and forming all of our loves and our wants and our desires, like the whole thing. So that basically means, oh, wow, God's like after my whole life, you know? Um, and that, but that's good news because, honestly, it's, it's really painful to not live with rightly ordered desires. Like it's, oh, gosh, it'll take you to hell you know, like hell on earth. Uh, I see um, addicts. I worked with the homeless for many years, and oh my God, like, you know, where they can just take you just to absolute hell. So this is, um, I think really, this is beautiful, right? This isn't like, oh gosh, God's after me. He's after my whole life, my loves and my wants and my longings. Oh no, like, no, 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 no. That is good news. <laughs> it's good news to, to be ordered in that way. Um, second implication is that loving Christ is more caught via habits, practices, spiritual disciplines, then taught via books, lectures, and sermons. That last one was hard for me to write, but it's true. Um, I, I was thinking about, um, well, really the last few hundred years, Christians have been very obsessed with information. Like that's, you want to be discipled? You want to follow Jesus? What you need is the right information. You know, the right theology, all the exact Bible verses. Um, and just to be clear, I mean, if you've been around the table, you know we're far from, like, being anti-intellectual or something. Um, we're checking. We don't want to check our brains at the door. Um, so it, that matters, right? Because we live from kind of ideas and stories, and so thinking, that matters. Um, but ultimately, like I said earlier, we're not so much, like, thinking things. 
we're desiring creatures. And because of this, well, we all know, we can know the right thing. The problem is doing it, correct? Right? Like, I know what to do in my life. My problem is my desires are running amok and ruining everything. Right? And I think this is where, Christian, we've gotten a little off track because we thought, if I just get the right info, even you see kind of a secular version of this in folks who read a lot of self-help books, can be kind of similar passion or like almost an addiction to like, I just, I just need the right the breakthrough. If I can just get the right, if I can just watch the right YouTube video, that will, then I'll get it. Because then I got the right info and it's like, oh, it'll unlock my whole life and then I can do everything I'm called to do. You know, it's like, probably not. Because it's often not about more information. It's like about our, it's about our living. Um, so for example, I could, we could do, just to pick a random topic, like we could talk about submission to God. That could be, I don't know, like a sermon series on you know, following God's will for your life or something. And I could, man, we could do an eight-week series on it. We could do book study. We could look at all of the phrases in the Bible that say submit to God. And we could look at it in Hebrew and in Greek and all the things. And, and that would matter. Like, I'm not trying to downplay that. Like, that could matter. That could be helpful. You might get some new angles on it, you know, understand it more. Um, but you know what would be even more powerful is if you woke up each morning and you got out of your bed and you bowed down low and you opened up your hands and you said, God, I am yours. I am yours. Move through me today. Speak through me today. I don't want to say anything except what you want me to say. I don't want to do anything except what you're calling me to do. Help me, God. What is that? That's a practice, right? And even the bowing low matters. Why? Because we're embodied creatures. Like it just, this is what's so weird. It just, it, it's more caught than taught. It just kind of gets into you. This is actually why I think church matters because we can talk all day. God is love. God is this. God, you know, but it's another thing to actually come into a space and like connect and feel it, and live it, experience it, right? It's powerful. Um, why is that? Because this is about, because it's about desire. It's not just about info, you know? Um, you can get info from a podcast, but it's different when you start living it. I think, um, for example, this is why something like fasting kind of actually matters, Hey, for us in the West, this just makes no sense. Fast, fast, fasting, like I'm just not going to eat or I'm not going to do something I enjoy? Why? This just, I mean, literally just sounds to us like the dumbest idea ever. Like, okay, so God just wants me to be miserable and that's somehow tied to holiness. Great. You know, we just, it makes no sense to us. Why? Because we don't understand desire. Right? We don't get that that's like part of it. That it's about rightly ordered. And when we do that, that like it's a powerful practice of prioritizing and ordering our desires. Is that you kind of tracking? Um, third, and I'll close. Um, prioritize good desires. Don't just fight bad desires. You know, I, I think this could be a little bit kind of the negative, you know, of desire often leads to the, the language of evil desires, which then we get in our brains of like, stop, don't, halt, cease. You know, and this is where we kind of, the mode we get, that, that's sinful, that's evil, that's wrong, oh gosh. You know, we get in that mode of very negative instead of pursue the good. 
pursue the beautiful, pursue the true. Um, this is a quote from Anthony DeMello, a Jesuit priest. He said, nourish yourself on wholesome food, good, wholesome food. I'm not talking about actual food. <laughs> I'm talking about sunsets, about nature, about a good movie, about a good book, about enjoyable work, about good company. And hopefully, you will break your addictions to those other feelings. In other words, those disordered desires. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Lord, we are um, swirling cauldrons of desire. We are pulled every which way. We feel so restless. We often feel so addicted, so controlled by our impulses and urges and loves. God, give us a taste for the good food that is loving you and loving others. Give us a taste for scriptures and sunsets, for coffee with a friend in the silence of a walk in the woods, for chores that need doing and a sense of your presence as we do them. Keep us from evil. Make us a holy people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.